0: Chapter one. It is good to be in the house of God this morning. That was what Sunday school was all about. Man, I couldn't amen anymore. Uh, David said it was good. Be in the house of God, Amen. First Peter chapter one and Philippians chapter one. If there is ever a time for the church house to be full, would be now. I work with Christians all the time that say, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with America? What's happened? While they're professing Christians that never talk about the Lord, they don't read their Bible, they're not praying, they haven't darkened the door of a church house. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, that's important, by the way, uh, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, this is important, who, is ver- who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. What is that scripture talking about? The subject is clearly Christ. And the context is redemption. There's two main points that are brought out in, in that, in that those, those verses of scripture. Number one salvation cannot be obtained by silver and gold or tradition like man teaches. That's what, that's what he's, uh, he's telling them. He's saying, it's not like uh, tra- tradition like your, your fathers used to try to do. No, no, no. That's not how sal- you get salvation. Number two, it can only be obtained through Jesus Christ, the precious Lamb of God. Brother John Zollers, I'd be honored if you'd open in a word of prayer, brother. Amen. There's a third point here. Looking at this, this context of scripture. And it's the root of the message this morning. Look at verse 19. He says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So who are we talking about? The precious blood of Christ. as Jesus Christ. Amen. His blood that was shed. Verse 20 says, who, is, who verily was for, ordained before the foundations Of the world. As in before Adam and Eve ever ate of the tree of the garden, before day one of creation ever came into fruition, before the firmaments were ever stretched out, God considered what he was doing. My mind can't fathom the thought. I can't get very far in taxes without Jessica and Rachel helping or doing it, let alone fathom foreordaining and predestining, predetermining every step and everything that's going to happen before the foundation of the world even happens. I can't fathom that. When I play chess, I can't get past two moves in my brain. I can still beat Ben and Noah. Noah. But I can't think two moves ahead of myself. With the context of Scripture, God foreordained and knew everything that was going to happen. He also knew all the suffering that was going to happen creation was even made he considered the suffering that you would go through and that you would go through the people of Ukraine would go through from the smallest little infraction from our opinion to the greatest thing point number one I've only got one point this morning the righteous suffer the righteous suffer go to Philippians chapter 1 verse 27 you should already be there Philippians one twenty seven says, "Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ." Man, we could shut up gossiping right there just with that verse. Amen. That whether I come and see you or else I'll be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Amen. Unity in our church is important. That's how we can get things done. Amen. Verse 28, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them uh, an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. Look at this verse. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake. Well, we don't want to do that. We don't want to suffer for the gospel's sake. No. 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 You know that God knew that his disciples would suffer greatly? We don't like to think about those things. We're Americans. We want to talk about how comfortable we are in our wonderful chairs. and Bless God, they're comfortable. Amen. But we don't want to talk about suffering. Why should I have to suffer? I worked, I worked my whole life. Why should I have to suffer for anything for the Lord? I live in America. My standards are here. I shouldn't have to suffer at all. God knew the disciples would suffer. You know, the early church suffered greatly. There was persecutions and and martyrs and, and men and women died, were hanged, were burned, were tortured, were sawed in half, put in prison. They suffered. We can't compare to that. Thank God we don't have to yet. But God considered the disciples before the creation of the universe. God considered all the martyrs that would have to die gruesome deaths before he created all of it. God considered knowing that Adam and Eve was going to fall in the garden. He knew that before it even happened. He knew that we were going to lose lost loved ones. He knew that there's going to be funerals in life. He knew that uh, there's going to be car accidents. He knew that there would be uh, uh, houses that burn. He knew that there would be murderers. He knew that there would be wars in Ukraine. He knew about the First World War and the Second World War. He knew about all of them and all the wars that we don't even know about that happen all the time. God considered all of that. God also considered Job. We turn to Job 1.1. In our American Christianity, we don't want to count suffering as anything for the, the gospel message. No, the gospel message is Joel Olstein, everything's hunky-dory all the time. Your best life now, which is an anti-biblical statement. Yes, God wants to bless you. But that doesn't always mean it's going to be some financial, comfortable, comfortable blessing, amen. There's spiritual blessings that we don't even consider often. Job one there's a man in the land of Uz, his name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she asses, and a very great household so that this man was the greatest of all the men in the east. Having livestock was like having money back then. And in that sense, I just made my neighbors a little bit more rich this week. Amen, amen. But if you're to continue reading from verse 13 through 19, through 19, Job lost all of his children. He lost his livestock. We know the livestock were the money makers. The livestock was also the it was the income for him. It was his security. What would we do if we lost our security? What are you going to do if you lose your job? You're going to quit coming to church. Are you going to quit reading your Bible? Are you going to quit praying? I love Job's response. It's kind of like, it's kind of like President Zelensky. You know, um, Brother Shine said in the men's prayer meeting this morning, he's right. You know, we don't know all who in Ukraine is good guys and bad guys at their heart or whatever. We don't know all about them. We just know that's an injustice and it's wrong what Rush is doing to them. It's just wrong. But what an inspiration. We can look at President uh, Velensky and say, man, that is a man, that is a leader, leading by example. Amen. I can get encouraged by that. I can get encouraged by reading the book of Job saying, man, in all this, Job didn't even sin. Amen. Pfft. Look at this. Look at Job's response. Job 1.20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, "Naked came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither." The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job said not nor charged God foolishly. Man, what an inspiration! I don't know what I would do if I lost. There, there's a little baby. Newborn baby that died from shrapnel this week. And I, saw, I was watching that on YouTube and how awful that was. The doctor couldn't save him. I don't know if it was a boy or a girl. I couldn't imagine losing my children. I, I couldn't. And I would hope that my response would be this. Let me just praise the Lord. That's a whole lot easier said than done. I know I'm a young man and there's a lot that I got to learn. But I can boldly point to the word of God and say, hey, we can find encouragement in this. Job worshiped God even when all just looked awful. He lost all of it. That wasn't enough. Satan was granted permission by God to inflict pain on his body and I can only imagine the pain that he was going through physically. Look at verse chapter 2, verse 7. So, so when Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown, and he took him a pot shirt to scrape himself with on and he sat down among the ashes. And if that wasn't enough, Job is taunted by his wife saying, Just curse God and die. I don't know all the details between the conversation and that Satan had with God. and You know, you could speculate that, you know, in the eyes of God, they're one flesh. You know, maybe Satan had liberty to give her boils. I don't know. Maybe he had liberty to kill her. I don't know the details of that. We could speculate. And there's quite a bit of commentary on that, nothing you could be dogmatic about. But one thing that seems pretty evident, Satan allowed her to be around, be healthy enough to taunt him. There's nothing worse than when you're not right with your spouse. You can't rest. There's no peace in the home. You're miserable, especially when one's constantly nagging you about something. He done lost his children. He lost all of his wealth. He's in more pain than he's literally ever felt in all of his life. Constantly. He's he's probably in a deep state of depression. And here comes his wife saying, curse God and die. That's what he was clinging to was the hope of of, uh, having a heavenly father that loves him. That he can put his trust in. He can say in everything I can give thanks and I'm going to worship him. And his wife was discouraging that. Boy, that's important who we're with. Amen. Job. Oh, then, huh? Huh. what was Job's response from his wife, or to his wife? He rebuked her. He rebuked her. (laughs) He rebuked her, and then he worshiped the Lord. I dare say that I'm sure that I'm not half the man that Job is, was. And I don't know if I know anybody that's half the man that Job was or would be in that situation. I, I just can't imagine it. We'd like to think that we would be, right? We'd like to think that, you know, we're the last one out when there's a fire, you know. But when push comes to shove, we might be knocking everybody over to be the first ones out, right? The character shows in, in the valleys, amen. We could just grasp that, amen. Job's told her, chapter 2, verse 10, he said, but he said unto her, thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What, shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Then from uh, verse 11 to basically the whole rest of the book of Job. Job's three friends basically accused Job of having sin in his life and that's why all this happened to him. And if I was there, I would probably join Job's friends, just being honest with you. So Job is now, he's lost his family, he's lost the health of his flesh, he's lost his fortune completely, now he doesn't even have income. Now he's basically lost his only friends because they're against him. His wife is uh, 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 taunting him, saying to curse God and die, I'm sure much more. But in all this, Satan didn't get the victory in Job's life. Right, right. God did. Yeah. Right. It don't take much nowadays for Satan to get the victory in our lives. Yeah. We all are at different stages in maturity in Christianity, and usually people that think they're mature Christians are usually um, not the mature Christians. <laughs> right? But we all have different troubles and trials, and some, from our viewpoint, are worse than others, there is no doubt. There are people in Ukraine that have it far worse than we ever dreamed of. Homes absolutely destroyed, uh, possibly never seeing uh, their husband or father again, having nothing but the clothes on your back, going to a foreign country. Yeah, we're going to, the church house ought to be full this morning. Christians ought to be in the house of God, serving the Lord, praying. We had a prayer meeting Wednesday night praying for Ukraine. Can we turn to Acts chapter 5, verse 40? I pray that Satan never gets any victory in my life. I pray that nobody can ever look back and say, yeah, that day, he was serving the Lord up until this happened, and then he just quit. Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council. Look at this rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. They were beaten for street preaching. And they counted themselves unworthy to suffer the beatings. Did they quit on Christ? No. Did they say, let's go to church less? They say, let's pray less. Let's read our Bible less. You know what? Let's not tell anybody about Christ. We'll be Christians, but we'll keep it to ourselves. Let's be hearers, but we won't do anything about it. No. They went on preaching and teaching. They kept having meetings in houses, and they they didn't even stop. These are Christians. These are men that we ought to be looking up to. Problem is, we're looking up to whatever's on TV or whatever Hollywood is. we do good to sit back and really contemplate our lives. We had the Lord's Supper last Sunday night, and amen, I felt like God was moving in the service. But it's good just to reflect on our lives and to ask ourselves, who's getting the victory in our life? evil knocks on our door, what is our response? You curse God and shun Him, shun the church, shun church people? Close your Bible, let it get dusty? Forsake prayer? Sure, you pray for your meals, but nothing more than that. Or do you worship God through the pain? Give Him the glory, which by the way, that's where the blessings are. But Tony said in Sunday school this morning, he must increase. John the Baptist he must increase, and I must decrease. I'm just waiting to pour blessings on us. But the problem is we refuse them because we try to do things our own way. I speak from experience trying to do things my own way. I know that giving thanks doesn't always come easy. I remember. My dad having a flat tire and it's raining outside and I'm trying to hold a flashlight for him. And in the rain, in the dark, he stops to pray, thanking God for the flat tire. Are we leading our children by example or are we going to be cussing in the rain because we're so mad about it? See, that's an opportunity for worship. When you're going through something like that, you say well, it's just a flat tire. Opportunity for worship. When we're sick, do we thank God for being sick? Say, how on earth, why would I thank God for being sick? Why would I thank God for having COVID? Why would I thank God for having the flu or for having whatever I have? Because that's an opportunity for worship. At times in life, uh, through the chapters of life, you might have a thorn in the flesh, a who or a what, What a blessing, an opportunity for worship. And let me tell you, it's easier said than done. Whatever valley you're going through, a death in the family, a car wreck, a loss of your finances, we got an opportunity to worship. People are watching you. Hey, dad, people are watching you. Brother, sister, people are watching you. Mom. Mom. People are watching you. Pastor, people are watching you. How you react in a situation. When you get a flat tire, are you praising the Lord, saying, thank you, Lord, for the flat tire. I pray you get all the honor and glory out of this. We're helping. We had furnace issues. We still have furnace issues. Amen. But we had a furnace man working on the furnace, paying him a fortune, too. But we're thankful that he came out. My mind was not on witnessing to him. My mind was on... Uh, how much money it was, and, you know, all those kinds of things. But John was a witness to him. And we prayed, and we had a great conversation. And then he opened up about prayer requests. And you know what? Our furnace issues was an opportunity to worship the Lord. Even if the pastor wasn't in tune with that, it's an opportunity whether we realize it or not. It's easy to say that about a flat tire. It's not so easy to say that when Russia's invading Ukraine. It's hard to say thank you, Lord, for that. You say, how could you say that? Because it's biblical and it's true. Because before the foundation of the earth ever was created, God saw that that would happen. And he decided that it was worth it for salvation of you if you're saved this morning. Pharaoh was an evil man, but God used him for his glory. Nebuchadnezzar was an evil man. (laughs) But God used Daniel in a mighty way in that whole story, amen. Vladimir Putin is an evil man. He's become the predecessor to Stalin and Hitler 5.0. God's allowed that to happen. Some way, somehow God's going to get the glory. When husbands and fathers were dying at the hand of Saul, of Tarsus, pre-saved saw there were women and children suffering for the cause of Christ and it was an evil thing being done. We can look back and see how God used that persecution to spread the gospel out. We can say thank you God for that. Those righteous saints had to suffer. We're not willing to but thank you God for that. There's currently about one and a half million refugees and counting. God's moving them to other countries. I wonder how many of those refugees will find Christ in all of this. Is it wrong what's happening? Yeah. Awfully wrong. God's allowed it. There's something that we can't see. There might be souls in heaven that we're going to meet and say, because Pharaoh did this, I ended up accepting Christ. Because, because Nebuchadnezzar did this to Daniel. you know what? Daniel led me to the Lord. Because Vladimir Putin raised war in Ukraine. You know what? I met this guy in Poland. He, my whole family, we got saved. What? Well, I'm so thankful for that. It's not easy to give thanks in everything, but it's biblical and it's right. And if our heart's right, we can do it. More than condemning Putin... And we certainly should. I'll pull the trigger. But more than condemning him, I'll be praying for him. Praying for his heart. And that's not easy for this guy to say. But it's true. Pray that God would save him. If not, take him out. But I pray that he gets saved. More than condemning Russia, and we should condemn him, We should be praying for souls to get saved. Maybe this is a wake-up call for a lot of Russians that we're not seeing from our point of view. Maybe God's going to do a revival in some churches. Maybe God's going to start a revival in America. People say, you know what? I'm going to go to the house of God. I got a God that's worth worshiping. He saved my soul. I haven't told anybody about Christ for years. I'm going to do something for the cause of Christ because he's worthy. more than feeling sorry for the refugees, and we certainly should. Let's pray for them. I pray they get saved. Hey, if they're already saved, maybe God's spreading the gospel to some other family that they're going to live with, or some other place, whatever it is. God's got his hand in this, whether we see it or not. And it's hard to say, but it's true. For the cause of the gospel of Christ... God allows suffering. You bring others to Christ, God allows suffering. God allowed the disciples in the early church to suffer greatly, more than we've ever experienced, and Lord willing, we won't have to experience. There's been uh, martyrs uh, since then, amen. There's martyrs still uh, dying in other countries that we don't hardly ever hear about. God allowed that for his glory. God allowed many throughout the years to be tortured for his glory. The question is, what will it take? What will it take for you to stop serving the Lord? What will it take for you to stop serving the Lord? We say things like we stand for what's right. Man, I'll I'll charge hell with the squirt gun but what will it actually take when the rubber meets the road let's put that another way what will it take for you to start serving the Lord loss of a loved one war on America's soil what will it take for revival to break out in America when things hit home and get real Then we'll call on God. Maybe a shooting in Calum blind. And then all of a sudden the country will come together for a week. We shake our fist at God. Yet the evil that we're dealing with is a direct result of our free choice of sin in the world. I love that song. Jesus is the answer for the world today. He still is the answer. Jesus didn't cause man to sin, but Jesus did provide a way of salvation. When we see this war happening, when we see murders in the world, when we see rapes, when we see uh, uh, the robbers, when we see war, when we see all this injustice, it's not God's fault. It's our fault because of sin, and we've allowed it. You say, well, they're a godless nation. Well, are you doing anything? The, have you ever done anything to reach another country for the cause of Christ? And we all not complain. If you didn't vote uh, uh, in the elections, don't complain about whoever got in. Yeah. We're not without trouble in this life. We know it rains on the just and on the unjust. And yes, God's in control and nothing can touch me that doesn't touch through His hand, but yeah. God allows things for our suffering just like He allowed it for Job. We can look all down through the history of Christianity and it's a long line of martyrs. Yeah. And here we are, born again believers, washing the blood of the lamb. Thank you, Lord. We've not had to suffer much. Right. Sure. The greatest of our suffering as a whole doesn't compare to what we've seen in the past. As we wind down the message this morning, there was a, there was a Lutheran minister named Martin Nehmaler. He was an early Nazi supporter. He was later in prison for opposing Nazi and Hitler, the Nazis and Hitler's regime. But not till it was too late. He wrote these words down, and I guess, I don't know if you call it a poem or what, but he wrote this. He said, first they came for the socialist, and I did not speak out. Because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. We look at that and we say, How awful it is that he didn't speak up for what was right. And even more so, he was a Christian. He proclaimed to be a Christian. he still didn't stand up for what was right. And even more so, he's a Christian Lutheran minister. And he still didn't stand up for people that injustice were happening to. James 4, 17, therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth, and not to him it is sin. If you see someone getting beat out in the front lawn, it's wrong if you don't do something to help stop it. The thing is that we're not very different from this minister. As a whole, you know, every time that we choose to not witness to our fellow man, the fear of our own comfort is compromised. Every time we don't witness to our fellow a uh, uh, family member or a coworker, the fear of our comfort is compromised. And we, we see uh, the injustice of sin and, and how awful that it is that uh, knowing that somebody's probably going to hell, that they're probably not saved. And we're just going to let it happen because eh, I might feel uncomfortable. If this poem were to be written by the modern day Christian as a whole today, particularly in America, it might sound something like this. First, I didn't witness to my neighbor I did not speak up because it made me feel uncomfortable. Then I didn't witness to my co-workers and I didn't speak up because I was backslidden in my walk with Christ. Then I quit going to church altogether and I didn't show up because I was too busy to honor God with my time. Then evil came upon me in the form of a valley and I had no peace and no hope. Because God was never a priority, therefore I felt alone through the valley, ignoring all of God's promises. Church, there's a peace that passes all understanding, but it doesn't just come like a zap of a lightning bolt. Amen, we have to put our trust in him. We must increase and he must decrease. That Lutheran minister, he regretted not taking a stand against the Nazis early on, and he had to live his life regretting that. When he finally did, he was thrown in prison. I pray that we don't wait until the judgment of an almighty God before we decide that, you know what, we should have spoken up for what was right. Maybe let's not wait until after the rapture and there's a judgment taking place and we decide, you know what, I should have been a witness instead of just sitting in my own bubble and enjoying life to the best of my abilities. Because after all, some preachers say it's my best life now. There's spouses that will wait till their marriage is over before they consider getting sin out of their life. Waiting till it's too late. I believe that there's Christians that wait till this life is over before they consider getting sin out of their life. You know, the past is the past. And we've all messed up. Some of us have messed up big. And those of us that haven't messed up big don't realize that we haven't. But the books are still being written. And we got from today to move on forward that we can live for the cause of Christ today. Amen. Moving forward. There's a, a Weberville Pastor Gashi, Dan Gashi, I think. Um, he would always say something like this, that um, the thought of uh, 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 being faithful can be daunting. But he wakes up every morning saying, I'm going to be faithful today. I just got to be faithful today. And tomorrow he wakes up the same way and so I just got to be faithful today. I'm mean, going everything I can for the cause of Christ today, one day at a time. Because the books are still being written. We still have a life to live. We still have a measure of vapor, a, me- a measure of breath left in our lungs, amen. We can still serve the, lo- the Lord. Our life isn't over. You know how many Ukrainians would just love to be in the house of God this morning? You know how many people are in the hospital right now? Ms. Ramona's in the hospital. She would much rather be in the house of God this morning than be in the hospital. Yet yeah. yeah, we'll wait until it's too late, until life is over, or we're in the hospital bed, we're in the nursing home, until we can't do anything. Then we say, ah, I wish I would have served God. We often have the mindset that we wish that God would just wipe out all this sin and evil in the world. Wipe out all the bad guys. And that sounds good, right? But, but to what standard? Our standard of evil? Because we'd say, man, Marilyn Manson, Hitler, Stalin, uh, Putin. Man, those evil men, they need to go. And amen a thousand times. But according to God's standard, what's evil? We'd all be dead and going to hell. The thought, a sinful thought, is Evil. We forget that because we're used to living in the symptom of our sin day after day after day. And we're, we, we hang around other people that are sinful. Maybe they're worse than us, so it makes us look even better. Well, I don't cuss the bad cuss words that they cuss. So therefore, I'm better. We're faced with evil every day, yet we allow it. Unfortunately, our prayer life doesn't reflect that. Our fervency doesn't reflect that. We stick our heads in the sand and we watch the world around us literally going to hell. Apathy is prevalent and apathy is real. If our Ukrainian brothers were uh, uh, right next door to us, living right next door, and we knew that Russia, uh, Putin was going to come in and take them, we would do everything that we could to say, hey, there's a war coming. Hey, hey, let me give you, let me give you a track. This will tell you how to get out. This, this will save you. And not only will it save you, but it will give you fighting arms, and you'll be able to fight off the attack. We'd like to think that we would do that. But we don't. Because we have neighbors that are dying and going to hell. We aren't we can't even be bothered with giving them a track. Turn to Romans ten thirteen, we'll close here. We need to have a Paul Revere mindset. Can you imagine working with a Ukrainian right now, and they were going through all they were going through, and we didn't say a word? We didn't tell them anything about how they could be saved or how to go to heaven. Can you imagine if our family members were being bombed every single day, but yet, you know what, I'm comfortable here in America, let's just not do anything about it. We forget that we're in a spiritual war. There's spiritual warfare happening every single day, yet we just ignore it because it's actually a hassle for us. Satan's bombing our neighbors. He's attacking them night and day. He's he's attacking our children. He's attacking us. We just think that we can accept so much sin because, you know, we go to church so often, so therefore we're fighting off Satan's attacks somehow. Joe Hicks would always say, if we really believed that they were going to hell, we would knock them down. We would hold them on the ground, screaming in their face that there's a burning hell that they're facing. Wouldn't it be a blessing if America turned back to God? Wouldn't it be a blessing if Christians got their hearts right and turned back to God? We could see revival in this church. We, we could see God move in Rhymolus. We could see God move in Michigan and in America. There could be a worldwide revival. We don't know that. Yeah, are we in the end times? Absolutely. We've been in them for 2,000 years. Are we in the end of the end times? Absolutely. We've been in, in them for years. Could there still be a worldwide revival? Sure. God can do anything. Romans ten thirteen says, For whosoever... To call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know that didn't say whensoever. It said whosoever. Now today is the day of salvation. Not, not whenever you want. Not whenever you get around to it. Not whensoever but whosoever. Not howsoever. Now it's not something that you can do. It's not by works of righteousness. lest any man should boast. We know that. But whosoever. specific. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. We have a message that is bigger than the war in Ukraine. We have a message that, believe it or not, is bigger than the Red Sea crossing. And that was... We have a message that's bigger than anything Pharaoh ever did or Nebuchadnezzar ever did or Vladimir Putin ever did. It's bigger than any world war that has ever happened or that's going to happen. Bigger. More important. It's to let our neighbor know there's still a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sin. That is far more important Than any world leader Nazi. Jesus is still the answer. But here's the thing. How are we going to respond. To a loving God. That allows these things to happen. Does God allow this to happen. So we will sit and do nothing. I don't think so. Did did, 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 Did God allow these things to happen Uh, uh, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, had a decision to make? They could either follow the ridiculousness of the government's rules to follow and worship, whatever they're bowing down towards, or to stand for what's right. Boy, they were given an opportunity to worship greater than any other. Daniel, given an opportunity to worship greater than any other. The disciples were given opportunities to worship like we've never seen But we're not willing to suffer for the cause of Christ because we're weak in the flesh. We need to be strong in the spirit. The question is, how are we going to respond to the Lord when things happen in our life? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd move in this invitation time, Lord, this is